All right, all right. Thank you all for tuning back in. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us here on episode two of the Think Forward podcast. I am your host, Abel Janelle, executive director and founder of Project Think Forward. And we have a very special guest with us here today, one of our therapists. And she also doubled as our clinical director. We have Miss Alex Sanchez on the phone. How are you, Alex? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Abel? I'm doing a lot better now speaking to you. I got my voice back 100%, so it feels really good. I'm in a really good mood. You know, it's sunny outside. There's no more rain. So it's a good day, you know? It's a very good day. That's amazing. Right. So uh, this week, guys, we are going to be speaking about wellness and self-care in a whole as it kind of deals with mental health. Now, uh, Alex, I just did kind of want to ask you, for a more general synopsis, I mean, what would you kind of consider... I guess not so much as, as a good mental health, but what is just mental health in itself? I mean, if you could kind of describe it. No, and I think that's a great start because I think a lot of people have a misunderstanding of what mental health is versus right. mental illness, mental disorders, all of those different aspects. But good mental health is really about wellness rather than illness. Mm -hmm. And it's to include our emotional, psychological, and social well-being as it usually is described as a state where a person can cope with normal life stressors, work, um, are capable of being productive, and are able to be able to to provide meaningful contributions to their community. Okay. So illness, on the other hand, would be basically lacking that when you're not working within your norm. For some reason, things are just not working the way they normally would in right. your life, that the day-to-day -day tasks that, that normally are there become much more complicated. Those are the first signs, and maybe not even first, but one of the greatest indicators that it's really time to start getting some help when it comes to mental health. Right. And I think that you kind of explained it pretty thoroughly there because I think people have a misconception of mental health associates with something very negative. You know what I mean? So it's like, oh, when you hear, yeah, you know, my mental health is not the best right now. Oh, he's psychosomatic or, you know, maybe he's super depressed or, you know, maybe he's a little bit schizophrenic. There's that negative connotation because how you kind of said it, I've never thought about it in that full totality of, you know, there's many different variables in it. Um, to, mm -hmm. to kind of, you know, make the whole basis together. So I think that that was a really good definition to kind of say. And I mean, could you probably agree if even one of those things are off, it can throw off your whole, you know, kind of body and a psyche in a sense for your mental health. Like, let's say, um, you know, I have my emotional is good, my psychological is good, but my social well-being is just, you know, really taking a toll this week. I don't have any type of social energy um, I don't really feel like communicating. Can that kind of affect the overall basis of your mental health in a sort of, I guess, negative way versus just it being so minimal that it doesn't really have a major effect? Very much so. And this is where we, we really have to look at each individual differently because how one person responds to an event, a crisis, um, can really vary from person to person. One person can see a fire immediately have all this sense of anxiety mm -hmm. where we have others who have no problem rushing right into that fire, right. right? So it really does come down to an individual's ability to cope and how one person copes versus another person is going to be quite different. But we do know that mental health requires a balance between the body, the mind, the spirit, and the environment in which the person is living. As this really affects what we think, how we feel, and ultimately how we behave. 
Okay. Now, just sort of a caveat, because I know that there's people out there listening. When you said spirit, a lot of people relate that to religion. I mean, again, we don't have to deep dive too much on here, but if we're going to be talking about everything in totality, when you say spirit, do you just mean like a physical soul or, you know, like somebody's soul? Or is it one of those things where, you know, praying to a higher power that kind of, uh, you know, assists with it or... How would you kind of, you know, elaborate more on that? Because I think that that's a, a major one that I've even found working in, you know, clinics that a lot of major hospitals, you know, there's a very strong religious value, which I think is, you know, amazing. Obviously, everybody has their own beliefs. But a lot of times when people are sick, when they fall ill, when they don't know where to go, there is that, you know, 80 percent or so that turn to their higher power or. Mm -hmm. Are you saying, you know, spirit, just like a, you know, personal thing as far as like my own soul and my own body? So in this aspect, I really think it's per individual. Okay. So if for them that means a higher power, yes, then that means a higher power. Okay. For somebody that does not hold that spiritual background, for them, if that's that sense of soul or who they innately are as an individual, then I think that's safe to say as that. Because who am I to sit here and judge what another individual thinks? If if they don't hold a religious background, but I myself do, who is it to say that it's my job to press my impressions and my beliefs upon somebody else. Right. And I think there's a big misunderstanding when it comes to counseling that sometimes that's going to happen. With a good counselor, it is not their job to take their thoughts, their opinions, and their views and to put them on somebody else's. When it comes to counseling, counseling is really supposed to be about the person who is coming into the counseling session, about what they're going through, about what they want to accomplish and achieve. It really should have very little to almost nothing <laughs> to do with actually your counselor. Right. Now, who your counselor is as a person and how you, you connect and interact with that person is going to be incredibly vital right. when it comes to the therapeutic relationship. But nevertheless, it is not a counselor's job and responsibility to to put their beliefs, their thoughts and feelings onto the client. I mean, I did have a question that uh, I did receive last week from, you know, somebody and I, they did want me to ask an actual therapist. So in general, and I mean, you've been doing this for years. Have you found that therapy is a good possibility for everybody if they're having a sort of, you know, mental discomfort or do you feel that sometimes therapy is not the answer from them or for them uh, well i will admit i'm a little partial to this i think therapy can be beneficial to any and everybody um but when it comes to an individual say we, we do have individuals who come in and i don't want to be in therapy i don't like therapy generally if you're coming in with this mindset Therapy is not going to be nearly as effective for somebody who already is coming in with the belief and mindset that it will not be effective. Mindset is really incredibly important. And this is where it really does come down to though the therapeutic relationship with your counselor. Yeah. When you find the right counselor, there's this natural kind of click that occurs where you don't mind sharing what your personal experiences are because they're not sitting there guilting you or shaming you for what's occurring they're able to give you really good insight. They're able to ask you deep probing questions to help you think about your situation in a different aspect. With the right counselor, a lot of that discomfort or 
or uneasiness about counseling is often faded away. So it really does come down to, can you find the right counselor and can you hold just in general a, a positive view that counseling could potentially help you? Yeah. Just simply coming in with an open mind can make the process 10 times easier. Have you ever had, you know, a, uh, I don't want to call them patient, but have you ever had a, a forward thinker? You know, that's what we're going to call them here at the uh, foundation. Have you ever had a person that you're working with? And I mean, you know, you, you've maybe saw them for a, a few sessions and I'm sure that after you sat with somebody for a, a, a few times, you can kind of tell what, you know, which way it's kind of going. Have you ever even turned somebody away and said, Hey, you know what this, you know, this, I don't think it's for you. You know what I mean? And maybe recommend books or recommend a different outlet for them versus therapy? Yes. Okay. Um, so it's generally not very common because, and this is where it just might be different with what I'm experiencing with, with my clients, my forward thinkers. It, yes, a lot of them are coming in with the want and desire to change, even if they come in not liking therapy, even if they come in with, with bad experiences with counselors, generally when we're able to talk and connect about what's able to go, what's going on in their, their life and their situation, a lot of that uneasiness does fade away. There have been a few clients though. It's just, we are not seeing eye to eye. They say they're ready, but they're really not yeah. ready. Or they would benefit from a different modality that I myself do not practice. Mm -hmm. Then, yes, we will go ahead and refer it out. It's not very common. Um, as a lot of individuals are finding me of their own self-searching and are able to usually read my bio or, or read my website to see a little bit more about who I am before we're even making that initial connection, yeah. that it does streamline that process a bit. But there have been a few cases, and it's just because some individuals don't like talking to men. Some individuals don't like talking to women. Some people have um, this idea that a younger individual is not going to be as knowledgeable as somebody who's been in the field a lot longer. So they'd prefer somebody who, who has a lot more experience. I've had individuals on the opposite end where they want somebody who's new, who's fresh, who hasn't developed any bad habits or has, hasn't developed bad viewpoints of, of a lot of like mental illness, seeing a lot of that negativity build upon a counselor, right? So a lot of people come with a lot of different desires and wishes for what their counselor really will look like. And it's ideal to find somebody who's going to be a good fit for that person. I've never even thought about it in, um, in that aspect, you know, like maybe having a, a therapist practice for, you know, eight, nine years. I've never thought about it in the aspect of, you know, maybe their judgment is skewed a certain way, or maybe it's a little bit slanted because I'll tell you when I went to therapy, you know, three, two years ago, um, I did kind of have my trial and, and uh, arrows with, with a different therapist. And solely at first, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, I am definitely a, a victim to, you know, I didn't want to have a male therapist because I wanted to have a, you know, female point of view. But after actually sitting with a female and both mm -hmm. the male, I actually did find that the male kind of understood me in a, in a different aspect. And he kind of leveled with me, you know, on a kind of different playing field. 
So um, I, I definitely do right. see that that kind of point of view. And I mean, also kind of how people say, and I actually think that you taught me this, you know, when we first met um, about just speaking to anybody, you know, who's not maybe like a friend or like a family, somebody who's not biased, just that sole part of just, you know, speaking to them, it already kind of lifts and lets go a little bit of whatever anguish that you're kind of feeling. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean that, you know, after speaking to two, three therapists, just to kind of start trials. After I said the same story three, four times, I was like, I think I'm cured. Like, you know, like, like I think I'm good by now. But, you know, obviously after sitting, going back and forth. And I also spent, and I mean, a lot of people don't do this, but I did spend a lot of time reading prior to actually going to the therapy. Whereas I found myself in, in therapy more so picking the brain of the therapist. You know what I mean? It was kind of like, I was kind of asking, I don't want to say probing questions, but I was kind of probing and saying, hey, you know, is if I do this and this, is is that this? Or if I act this way, this way, and this way, does this mean that I'm this? And, you know, I had a few of them look at me and say, who's the therapist here, me or you? And I'm like, listen, I'm just trying to understand because, you know, obviously I'm a reader right. and I like to, you know, I like definitions, analytical stuff. I like those kinds of things. Whereas, you know, I've had even a, a close family member you know, he went to therapy after years of just being lost and, you know, like, like the full blown, I don't know what's going on, that kind of aspect. So I guess where I was trying to go with that is, I mean, obviously as a, a therapist, you have to be kind of a uh, chameleon for like a better word. Like you have to be able to kind of change your shade, change your, you know, change your shape to uh, kind of adjust to every mm-hmm. single forward thinker because they're all going to require something different from you. You know, some may just want ears. Some may want to hear your point of view for everything. Some might want your judgment and some might want you to just nod your head and just say, yep, yep, yep. We can kind of move forward here. Uh, just kind of to continue the, the topic of what is mental health in itself. Um, I know that it does kind of stem with thoughts, feelings, or emotions, and behaviors or actions. Now, I do want to kind of deep dive here on this differential of the feelings or emotions and the behaviors Mm -hmm. or the actions. So feelings or emotions, um, a lot of people think that those are two of the uh, same thing, right? Right. Whereas I might feel depressed or sad, right? But my emotional mm-hmm. state could be in a different aspect because you kind of shed some light and I guess kind of give me more of a understanding, you know, for lack of like better words and more so of like layman's terms. What's the real difference between feelings and emotions? So somebody could kind of differentiate, you know, I might feel this way, but I, you know, am really acting this way. Right. So do you mean at that point action though, yeah. or are you well, no, about more feeling versus emotion? More so feeling versus emotion. Right. So, I mean, to maybe break it down in a little bit more of a simplistic, uh, that, that one's a little bit of a tougher one, right? Because right. a lot of it really comes down to, we can have an emotion, but are we actively feeling it, right? How many people do we see who are are grieving, who are hurting, where we see they're having these type of emotions, but they're not actively feeling them? They're more blocking or dissociating away from them, right? So the, the two are, 
generally going to coincide, right. right? Generally, when we have an emotion, we're going to generally feel it. Now, part of mental health is, and wellness is feeling our emotions. At the end of the day, our emotions is really what makes us very human, right? To, to feel love, to feel hate, to feel joy, to feel sorrow, right? It's really what distinct, distinguishes us versus, say, a robot, a computer, you know, who's to say there's a whole lot of difference? It really does come down to our ability to feel and experience emotions, Could right? Even so kind so of, maybe given. Oh, yeah. Sorry to cut you off now. Go ahead. So like I could tell a computer an emotion. It can be told it's supposed to be sad, but does it have the capability of feeling sad? Okay. So one's more what the state is going to be versus what it is like to experience that, that emotion. Actually one has to do with the emotion versus experiencing the emotion. Okay. And I mean, I, I did like how you said, um, you know, we have an emotion, but are we actively feeling it? Whenever you said that it kind of brought me to the word compartmentalized, uh, I, I learned that mm -hmm. word early on and, um, you know, from research and, you know, studies, they said that men more com compartment compartmentalized, sorry, ex excuse me. And that's to say like, you know, we think that we multitask, right? There's a study that says w women can multitask, but men can't. And by multitask, it's like, you know, like, you know, you're, you're doing more than one thing at a time. But we as men will say, yeah, I'm multitasking. I'm I'm vacuuming and I'm eating, or I'm I'm driving and I'm reading a text. It's not that we're multitasking. We're compartmentalizing where it's like I'm driving. Now I'm looking at my phone and I'm reading a text, which you shouldn't be doing. But or like I'm vacuuming and I'm you know eating. We think of it as right. two. So I kind of you know those kind of feel very similar to me, where it's like, yeah, this morning I woke up depressed, but am I actually actively sad, you know, or, or am I actually actively feeling that emotion throughout the day? Or is it just, I woke up and I don't feel so much as myself. So that actually kind of gave me a, a, a better kind of scope there. And I mean, we can even kind of transfer over to the behaviors or the actions. Now this one, uh, I, I actually like this one a lot because it's saying behaviors. Let, let's say, um, we can go to somebody who's an aggressor. Would you always coincide an aggressor with someone who's narcissistic? How so? Uh, we can use a relationship, right? So aggression, it doesn't always have to be obviously like violence or, you know, something physical. It could be aggression in the fact that, you know, they got to be the, you know, top person, the loudest in the room, you know, like the loudest voice, um, like you know who they are when they walk in, but on a negative aspect, not like somebody who's confident and outgoing. So if I was to say, you know, aggression, like, you know, they speak with aggression, they talk with their hands, uh, and maybe they don't always mean well, does that always kind of coincide with narcissism as, as far as, and, and again, we can use it for a uh, couple or a re relationship. Um, I would, would I say it coincides always? Not necessarily. No, because narcissism really has to do with a lot of how am I getting my way? Sometimes getting my way does not behoove me to be 
the bad guy all of the time. Okay. Sometimes it behooves me to be the charmer, to be the interesting one. Sometimes the narcissist knows when it's time to be center of attention versus when sometimes it's not. So like a lot of manipulation. Very much so. Okay. Yeah, manipulation. And- you, you hear the big term like gaslighting has been a big common one nowadays. Oh, yes. But this is where we start talking, though. Are we talking about a personality disorder? Right. Are we talking about how the average person is talking about narcissism? Right. Just like the same way when people are talking about generalized anxiety versus an anxiety disorder. We do have to start distinguishing the two differences. Because too many people get them confused and have this idea that they're the same thing when they're not. <laughs> and that's actually another good point. And again, I know I'm kind of all over the place, but you're you're hitting a, a lot of key factors that even myself, I've always wondered. In this day and age, 2021, uh, you know, obviously I'm I'm only 23, so I am on the younger side, I guess you can say. But in this day and age, my more so generation loves the word anxiety we love the word depression yes now they say okay this this generation is a lot more sensitive they're you know they didn't have it rough or you know they they wouldn't have survived in the 80s with the crack pandemic they wouldn't you know have survived in the 90s with you know heroin all those different things but my thing is i think that it's just more normalized which i think is amazing because we're talking about our feelings like hey you guys might have dealt with these different things it just wasn't the popular opinion to speak how you felt. If you spoke how you felt, you were shamed, you were bashed, you were looked at, laughed at weirdly. My biggest question. Right. Very much so. Right. And my biggest question in this kind of aspect is anxiety. Now I can break down anxiety for how I have felt it before, you know, physically tightness in the chest, cold, sweaty palms, you know, heart, heart racing, ears are high, but I've learned that anxiety is different in every single person. So how you kind of said how we generalize anxiety, she has anxiety, he has anxiety. Anxiety varies as to where, perfect example, um, a loud noise, right? Some people, when they hear a super loud noise, it's that's unexpected, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll freak out, heart kind of picks up, whereas let's say somebody else, no big deal, normal. Right. Right. But let's say you're watching TV and um and you and you see something right that can something visual that can actually trigger uh, acute anxiety. I don't want to say attack, but just a little bit of anxiety where you kind of feel tense and your skin's kind of crawling. I've learned that people are all kind of putting this in one major bucket. Like, yeah, anxiety, 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 anxiety. How would you as a therapist? And I mean, how do you physically kind of tell the, the differences, I guess? we can call that levels of anxiety from like a minimal because I feel like every person has some sort of level of anxiety. That's what makes us normal. But how do you as a therapist kind of differentiate, differentiate what's kind of like a basic entry level to more intermediate, like, and does it kind of feel different physically or is it just kind of based on per person? What kind of triggers them? So, I mean, everybody to some extent is going to have some type of anxieties, right and worries generalized anxiety things like that where we start really differentiating what is the disorder right because every person's different what is stress for one person may not be stress for another individual right 
what one person uh, finds as a difficult job, another person might not, right? So really when it comes to disorders, a lot of times we really have to look at when does it start becoming out of your personal norm that it's no longer just you can just fix it by yourself, right? The average individual is going to have some type of anxiety, even going to have sometimes depressive episodes, right? If a family member, say, passes away or gets hurt, it's going to cause sometimes those sad feelings. But when does it start transitioning into a disorder is when it affects our daily living for longer than a two-week period, right? It's generally a week to two weeks. The sooner we are able to know when we're falling out of the normal aspects of somebody's life, the better it is. The sooner we can go ahead and start treating those problems. A lot of the time we start having, say, these issues, this anxiety or depression that that tends to kick up. And we know we have this issue. We try to keep working at it, right? And over time, what we find is no matter what we seem to be doing to work at it, it just does not seem to be working. This is why oftentimes you have individuals with in, individuals with anxiety or depression when they're here, their family member will just get out of bed, just shake it off. The average individual who's struggling with anxiety or depression gets incredibly frustrated with that kind of feedback because believe me, if they could have gotten out of bed and just shaking it off, they would have already done it. Right. The average person is not going to sit there and say, I just can't seem to break out of this i just can't seem to get out of my bed if there wasn't something else generally going on right so when we start looking at things like that when are we start starting to find not as much happiness or fulfillment in the things that we do on a daily basis or things that normally bring us a lot of happiness right, right. say it makes me really happy to dance and sing and play sports the day I start waking up and I'm not looking forward to dancing, singing, or playing sports, it's an indicator that something's off. Mm. Something is going on. Now, is it is it going to happen sometimes when we're not as interested in the things we like and enjoy sometimes, right? But now, if this is going on one week, two weeks, now we're going longer than that, that is an indicator something's going on. And we generally want to go ahead and, and see what's going on and the average person, again, is all we know is just something's wrong and we don't know what it is, which is why oftentimes the therapist is then brought in play right. because all they know is just something's not right. I can't tell you what's wrong. I can't tell you what it is, but all I know is something is not normal with me. Something is off. Usually that's when we have the biggest influx of when people start actually getting help. But generally, a lot of people will try to do their research, will try to read the books, read the articles, self-diagnose. Oftentimes, many months before they ever come in to actually get the help. And so they're prolonging some of that, that suffering that hopefully if they got in to see a mental health counselor, that they could expedite that process so much more quickly. Yeah. Like say again, a cold. If they had just gone in to get the treatment for their cold, it could have gone a lot quicker versus you're three weeks out. You finally go to the doctor. The doctor's like, well, you should be better in about a week or two. Yeah. 
So I heard you say that two week number, is that like the medical, you know, definition for, you know, after 14 days, or is that kind of like a, like a rule of thumb, you know, just to kind of have people to have. So every diagnosis is going to be different. Mm -hmm. So what we're, we're looking at, it's not always going to be a two week period that generally is going to be, we're looking, we are talking more specifically anxiety, anxiety. We are going to look specifically at more of a two week period. And it's not to say that we wouldn't look beyond that. We are going to also look beyond that. We're trying to see what's going on most recently. If it's anything that's recently occurred that could explain what's going on other than simply it being an anxiety disorder, such as, again, say somebody's family member passed away. I probably wouldn't immediately jump into they have clinical depression. No, they had a very hard life circumstance that just occurred. It makes sense that they would have depressive symptoms, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they would have clinical depression. Okay. Nice. Thank you for that uh, explanation there because I've always, I mean, just personally, I've always been super curious. Like To me, anxiety is just so broad, just like depression. Like I feel like those are just two very broad terms that people right. just associate with tight chest, I have anxiety or, you know, deep breaths and, you know, like I'm having a uh, attack anxiety or like depression people associate. And I mean, maybe I'm off here, but when you're sad, you're not, you're not always depressed. Is, is that a correct kind of thing to say there? That's correct. Is depression something that is just more kind of long-term like if i'm sad for let's say like a week or so you know and, and there's no obviously exact number but if i'm just continuously feeling very very down would that kind of jump into being a, a depressive kind of thing so that's going to be one of our biggest indicators that there's probably something going on uh -huh. if you've been chronically sad for a period of time we want to look into what might be occurring there okay all right. Because the average oh. person is just not going to stay in chronic sadness. Right. The average person doesn't want to stay in that. And generally, it's an indicator that you're not happy with something or there's something off. Right now, this is where we start. Again, uh, you, you go through a lot of training to do all of this. Right. So right. we want to start looking at somebody's background. Could it be potential health issue? Could it be, like I said, a, a life circumstance that just recently popped up? Is it a financial issue that has been creeping and building over time, right? There's a lot of different aspects we want to look at to make sure, is this really mental health or mental illness? What is really occurring in this individual? Another question I've always had, because I, I mean, I even went through this. How come sometimes, and again, these are just random questions, honestly, because I'm just picking your brain. I've always been super curious is it normal, and I hate using the word normal, especially when we speak about mental health, is it common to want to be sad when you hear sad songs? Like, you know how sometimes you wake up and you're like listening to music and you're like, you know what, like, I want to be sad right now. You know what I mean? And like you play those, you know, like those slow jams or those breakup songs is that a common thing? Because I found that, I mean, obviously in my past life of just always per pertaining to music, sometimes people just 
want to feel sad. Now, I don't know how else to say it, but sometimes we as humans just want to feel that emotion of like empathy. Like I might not actually be <laughs> right. sad, but damn, I want to be sad right now. Is that is that something that you found is kind of normal or kind of common or am I, is this just like a generation? <laughs> it's just like a millennial thing that's just like super weird. No, no, no. I get what you're saying there. Um, I think a lot of what you're describing, you kind of hit the nail on the head with the, we really have this desire for, to be able to empathize with others. We as human beings naturally have this ability and this desire innate want to belong, to connect with our fellow human beings. Music is a great connector. When we hear the right words, the right song and melody that connects with our own personal experience, I think it, music is a very fascinating topic of itself, right? Um, but it does allow somebody to go back to a moment in time where they felt that emotion, where they felt what that person is describing in those lyrics, right? So I think it, one, allows somebody to feel a very specific emotion. Two, it allows us, again, to, I think, connect with emotions as well as what somebody is trying to convey in a song which I think also shows that we have this desire for vulnerability, vulnerability and connectedness with other individuals. And music, just like I said, happens to be a great equalizer and allows us to connect with much more simplicity. One that I've always kind of put together is how you said music, you know, we can relate it to maybe certain words going through a certain error. I've always related music to smells, right? Because sometimes, tell me now, you ever smell like the right smell and it brings you back to an exact moment in time in your life? It could have been decades ago, but you can see it so vividly because it is one smell. So I've always related, you know, audio to sense. Um, so when you do say that, I mean, and even if you think about songs, you know, I remember songs back when I was in high school, like, man, like, I remember remember leaving school you know playing this song or you know going to the games and playing these songs or you know prom or homecoming and these were like like the top songs then whereas we like fast forward now let's say in um college you're like man this song was it for me back in college or this song was it for me back in middle school that's you know how far we could take it back i smelled the other day i was walking through a cvs a, a, a gentleman had on some aftershave and i was like it brought me back to when I was seven years old, you know, with my father. Like, damn, like, where, where the hell did you get this aftershave from? Like, it just brought me back to the exact location, time, place, you know, like my haircut. I remember what clothes I had, shoes, everything. So I do think that the brain is kind of interesting in that kind of concept, how we kind of group memories in those things as far as, because even more recently, I've remembered things that I never knew I lived through as crazy as that sounds, because I, I, I might've smelled a certain thing or I might've heard a certain noise or a certain song where I'm like, yeah. And it, and it just unlocked Pandora's box in my head where it's like, no, no, no. The memory's here. You're just not right. thinking about it, but it's in that long-term memory. Mm. Oh, very much. The human mind is incredibly fascinating. But when we come to think about things like memories, right? Some of our, our best memories or the most vivid memories when you really sit and think about it 
How many of them can you relate back to your senses? It's true. So your, your sense of smell, your sense of taste, what you saw, what you heard, what you physically felt. The more your sensories were, your senses were involved, the stronger that memory is often likely to produce. This is why we also see like traumatic memories, right? Those traumatic memories can sometimes stick in the brain so with so much greater force because we were able to relate it to so many more senses. What, what we felt, what we tasted, what we smelled, right? The more those senses are involved, the stronger um, connect, the more connections it has in the brain because now it doesn't just have, oh, well, we smelt that. Oh, we experienced that. The more senses, the more connection areas we have to a memory. Yeah, and I was going to say that's even kind of the uh, caveat there where it's like great memories, you know, with certain smells of food or, you know, certain things, you know, brings me back to a day in the park with my mom or whatever it is. But it could even be like, you know, smelling, you know, smoke from a fire, you know, from a building back when you were younger and like a childhood trauma. So they do kind of double and they do kind of play both extremes, uh, both negative and a positive. So, like I said, I think it is kind of, not odd, but I think it is intense how we as humans can, you know, group these kind of emotions mm -hmm. to kind of relate positive, positive things, but also very, very negative things where it's like sometimes I'll smell certain things and I have the instant, like my stomach is just churning, like it's flipping upside down. Right. It, it, <laughs> it just brings me back to a time where it's just like, no, like this one time I had this and it was disgusting. Like even smelling it just... It just gives you that exact time, error, feeling. Just We can always kind of recreate things, which, which I've always found to be very fascinating. But let's kind of uh, move forward here, or think forward, I guess you can say. Um, more things on the body with stress. You know, if, if we were to throw stress in the actual mix, and I think that there's a kind of confusion here of what stress is. People kind of think, you know, stress, I'm not happy, but there is such things as good stress, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, I mean, in general, the stress, stress is the body's response to unexpected pressure. Now, that pressure could be a threat of one's sense of self, um, one's lack of control. I mean, something has caused unexpected pressure in our world, right? Now, each person has their own sense of homeostasis. This goes back to, again, what is our sense of normal? in which we can function best at, right? So some individuals say, let's, let's look at our soldiers. Our soldiers will have a higher ability to respond to stressful situations than say maybe the average civilian. They are, are trained, they are prepped on how to engage in battle for, for war, right? So their level of stress in a, a scary environment is a lot lower. They're going to have less of a stress response than say throwing a, a civilian into a battlefield, right? So homeostasis really refers to that sense of normal. What is that norm in your world? Now, all, not all stress is bad because stress often causes enough pressure for us to change or cause us to, to make some sort of change, right? Now, say... I'm stressed. I'm gaining weight. I'm not happy with the way my body is looking or feeling. Now that stress is uncomfortable. 
if I want to eliminate some of that stress, one of the things I can do is I can go and then work out. I know if I go work out, I can relieve some of that stress of feeling like my body's not right, right? So stress is sometimes not a bad thing because it puts pressure on the uncomfortable areas that we need to sometimes change in our world. Mm. What are some examples of good stress? Because I think, and I mean, again, personally, I am a victim of it. I don't sometimes, I can never kind of differentiate good and bad stress. I know that there's always been a thing of like, you know, these are good stresses to have, or, you know, like these are very bad stresses to have. So what is just some, I mean, if you can give a few examples of, of just what good stress would be to a, a person. Well, I will admit good stress is usually not considered good stress at the moment. Oh. It's usually the hindsight of what often occurs because of experiencing that sense of stress. Okay. Right. So this is like, is it stressful able when you and your partner fight? Yes. Produce a happy ending, though, with you guys coming together, being on a better page and oh, okay. being more understanding of each other. Okay, so it's kind of like a uh, it's a little bit of devil's advocate, a little bit like, you know, you have to kind of throw a wrench into something, but you kind of reach a further point and you kind of, you know, understand something a little bit deeper. Like you, yes. it's just like kind of saying, like, I had to go through that to get to this point, right? Exactly. Mm. Uh, a lot of the times is we're going to go through lows. We're going to go through stressful and hard moments. At the end of the day, the, the funny thing is we have this idea of what good and bad is, but would we really know what good is without ever experiencing what bad is? Yes. Well, this is basically that same concept. Sometimes we're going to have stressful things that happen in our life that actually end up producing better results. Things that we're better for our lives to get maybe a bad grade on a test right that wasn't good that wasn't helpful did it allow us to relook at all of our actions and say what do i need to do to do better right to produce us having better results some individuals have gone through bankruptcy and said that's probably some of the best things one of the best things that could have occurred to my life it's it was hard. It was stressful. It was uncomfortable, but it taught me all the lessons I needed to learn in that moment. Right. So it's a lot of that. How can we take something that maybe was negative or stressful and ultimately allow it to be something good? Right. Is it stressful to have our car break down on the side of the road? No. But could it be valuable that we took that opportunity to change our tire? And in the process, we, we taught our kid how to change a tire. So God forbid they're ever on the side of the road. They know how to do this. So right. It's like kind of making, it's kind of like, you know, making the best out of, out of situations in a sense. Very much so. Right. Because we, we're going to have bad things that happen to us in life. Right. Life's not all peachy keen as much as we really <laughs> want it to be. Right. Right. right? right. We can't control everybody and everything. So that means we're, we're not always going to be able to control 110% of our worlds. And in the grand scheme of things, like Abel, do you wake up every single day happy as can be? No. No, I do not. Why do you wake up some days unhappy? Right. Uh, sometimes we just don't know. Sometimes that, that's just part of what happens in life. But 
the thing is, even on the days that we wake up in a bad mood, can we take an opportunity to look at that and see what we can learn, how we can grow, how we can take that bad moment and make it into something so much better? I think that that also is kind of what differentiates people as far as like, you know, you kind of play the hands of, of cards that you were dealt, but it's what kind of makes us up as humans is like, how is it that we react to our situations? You know what I mean? Like, let's say Johnny, Jane, Robert, and Steven were all dealt the same cards in life, but they each have different outcomes based on how they kind of react to everything. Right. I mean, when we do studies of just alcoholics, right? If somebody has an alcoholic parent, we know the chances of them becoming an alcoholic is higher, right? But if we look at two children who, who came from the same household with an alcoholic parent, why is it we can see one child who developed the same habits that their parents did, while the other one went the complete opposite direction and never touched alcohol in their entire life? I was just having this same conversation, uh, except not with alcoholism. It was with a two-parent household. It was actually myself and somebody else, similar upbringings, one, you know, single parent household, exact, almost identical upbringings, but lead two completely different lives. And I was mm -hmm. having the, the same convo. It's like, it's not always about how, you know, the, uh, the cards that you're dealt. It's about how you act with them because me and said person literally were brought up the same, didn't have a father, you know, middle class, you know, decent schools, clothes on our back, you know, shoes, but one is night and one is day. So right. definitely, I, I do definitely uh, agree with that and that kind of aspect there. Um, what I mean, at, at, at what point would you consider, you know, that you're kind of overloaded with stress and you're and you're kind of not or I guess you can say you kind of lost control on how to maintain your stress? What are some things that you would recommend? I mean, just some general stuff to, to people to kind of offset or to kind of, you know, bring it down and kind of get back to having that little bit of a control over their life again. Because I know that when people feel overwhelmed with stress, we feel overwhelmed that we don't have control over our lives and it kind of makes mm -hmm. it a little bit deeper and larger than it actually kind of is. So what would be some things that you can recommend to uh, somebody? Right now there are, there's a lot of different factors we can really recommend, but when it comes to bettering our mental health, there there's at least really six key factors and maybe a few other key tips I would give. One of the first ones is your social connections, right? Do you have that support system? When we sometimes really look at how much our, our times have changed, right? It, we used to jokingly and lovingly say it, it takes a village to raise a child. How much have we moved away from that sense of community, that sense of tribe, right? When we're going through hard things, knowing that there's people there who love us, who care about us, who are in our corner is incredibly valuable, right? So having those social connections, the, those social relationships is incredibly important because Especially when we're feeling down or depressed and it feels like there's just nobody who understands us. Having those connections and knowing that there are people in our corner who maybe they don't get us, but they love us enough to say, dang, that sucks. Or, hey, how can I help you? 
is incredibly valuable. And I think this is even uh, an even greater point to kind of touch on how you said the whole village thing. I mean, over the last year, you know, we don't have to touch too much on it. We went through a pandemic. We're in the midst of a pandemic still. This hey. might have been the most, the most intense time for people to just like, literally be separated, secluded, like immediate, immediate family only because of what was kind of going on in the world. Have you found over the last year and a half a spike in any type of sort of cases or you know, but people kind of, I guess, being more for self versus being, you know, for uh, family, for like a better word, like even friends, you know, who were super close friends. Has it kind of, have you kind of seen in your uh, sessions that it's more of like a every man or female for themselves, sort of like animal mentality? Um, I would say more the opposite. It's a lot of people have been quarantined. They've been stuck. They, they now are lacking that connectivity. And um, the thing is, is, is growing up, a lot of us were in public school. We were all in school for the most part, right? And then most of us often went to college or went to work a job. The thing is, is when we're in those environments, it's, it's a lot easier for us to meet friends, to meet individuals who are like-minded or who have a similar background to us, Right. Once we're in the adult world and now we're just at our job, it becomes a lot more complicated of how do I go out and meet friends? How do I go out and connect with other individuals my age? So it's actually been the opposite. It's a lot of individuals. How do I go and meet people? How do I find friends? How can I connect with people? I'm not in school anymore. I know everybody at work and frankly, I don't really care for any of them. So it's a lot of individuals is how do I find my tribe when I'm no longer in school? I'm not in that environment anymore, right? So a lot of people, I think, really desire this sense of connection. And granted, we have social media. But I think a lot of what I'm seeing in my adults now, it's they're really realizing you can be connected on social media all day. But does that mean you're really connected? Mm-hmm. To know and say stuff is different than to be connected. Yeah, and I, and another perfect uh, example here is uh, I had a friend. She actually had a child during the pandemic, you know, so she got pregnant, uh, I think a little bit before, but uh, she had her baby midst, I mean, like peak prime COVID time, you know what I mean? To mm-hmm. where now the baby is about, uh, I want to say, maybe like a year or so, but at about 10 months, you know, she took her to the park for the first time and the baby had never seen any other kids, you know, only mom and dad, right? Mm -hmm. Like she was at the park and saw these other kids and like that, like her, her eyes were just wide eyed. Like there's people just like me, my size, you know, obviously, you know, she, she can't speak the best, but it's just like, the excitement and the, you know, sort of all on her face of like, wow, like there's other humans, things like me. So I, I kind of get what you're saying to where we kind of had to, even as adults or preteens or even children had to kind of get back to basics of like, I'm in my house. It's only me. And now we're back outside. It's like, wait a minute, how do I hold a convo again? Or do I shake your hand? Do I hug this person? Or is it, you know, is it kind of weird? And, and our social skills kind of depleted tremendously 
Uh, I mean, and how even tell you personally, I, I used to love meeting people going out and, you know, talking in, in, in a person, but I got so used to the phone calls to the zoom calls to where, yeah, if we have a meeting in, in, in you know, uh, two hours, I can hang out for the next hour and 55 minutes, you know, and then I'll put on a shirt and then get behind the camera. So it, it definitely did make that leisure kind of aspect a lot, you know, a lot more laxed in a sense, but I do think that people are kind of getting back to that sort of mode of, you know, kind of getting back. And again, the word normal, it's a, it's a different normalcy now because I don't personally ever think that we'll be back to how we were pre 2020. I just, I don't see it at least not in this lifetime and, you know, not for another decade or two, because people, it's just, people are just still so, it's just still so crazy. And I was even talking to somebody, she's a uh, nurse. And um, I was watching also a, a documentary and, and I was watching like, you know, about COVID and about the pandemic and, you know, how lives were just so affected. And I was looking at my girlfriend, I said, where was I in the pandemic? Because I didn't deal with none of this. You know, like I'm, I'm looking at the screen and like every day there's a dire situation and, you know, it's life or death and people are crying and crying. I'm just like, like where was I at? Because I felt like I had such a different experience compared to so many people who live right. around me, you know, who live in the same kind of communities, areas as me. But again, it's one of those things where it's like the the cards that you're dealt, how do you react? You know what I mean? How do you adjust to things or how do you kind of understand life that it kind of is around you? And that was a real eye, eye opener for me because Again, I'm watching, you know, and, and they've made so many documentaries already about the uh, pandemic, but I'm just like, wow, like, and it's, you know, you kind of shed a little bit of a tear and then you kind of like laugh a little bit because it's like, wow, this kind of happened to, I'm sure, a group of people, but it's like, if I tell you about my pandemic experience, it was nothing as as severe as that. I just right. shifted from doing 40% Amazon to 100% Amazon, you know, like I, and I just shifted from maybe eating out, uh, four or five times a week to zero times a week. Like it was just like night and day for some people where it's like my whole life was outside this and that to whereas like, Oh, I won't even leave my front door when they get the packages, they're spraying them down with bleach. Like, like I never went through that. And it's just like, it's very interesting to see people's uh, perspective, not only on the pandemic, but, you know, also on a lot of things. So, Right. I mean, how everybody is managing differently. So the next point then is how are you able to manage your stress? Right. We all are going to have issues. We're all going to have problems. We're all going to have stress. Right. So what are we doing and how are we managing that stress? Do we have an idea of what makes us happy? You'd be amazed at how many times I give a homework assignment of make a list of all the things you like, you love, that bring you a sense of joy or peace. A lot of people can't answer that question alone. Like So when you're stressed out, you don't even know the things that make you happy to help make you more happy when you need it. Nope. Well, then that's a place we might want to consider starting. Yeah. So, I mean, there is a few kind of key points that you would recommend to people just to kind of assess and kind of self assess first 
to kind of see how to move or, you know, push forward or think forward to kind of better their mental health and to kind of better their, you know, stress management. Mm-hmm. So one of them was that social connection. Right. The other one was the stress management. The third is staying active. Right. Kind of what you're already saying is how many of us have been holed up inside and have forgot even that active. I've heard so many people. Oh, I've got my quarantine bod. I'm like, okay, what do you mean quarantine bod? As in you put on a few pounds or you lost a few pounds? Because I think it goes back to exactly what you're saying. Everybody is, is dealt a hand, but how are you playing it? For some people, they got this extra time. They, they were quarantined. Right. And they took more time to self-discover who they were, the things they like, finding a new hobby, recenter their values. So it's on the people they love and care about the most. Where other individuals would you do? Uh, I don't know. I just chilled until I had to go back to work. Right. Now, when you say staying active, does that, I mean, essentially mean like working out, walking, running, you know, push-ups, that kind of thing? Yes, that physical well-being, right? We have to remember our body is a machine Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, right? If we're not actively moving it, it's going to start going into more of that hibernation mode and start storing things that it does not need to store. It is not wintertime. It is not time to store all that fat. (laughs) We got to keep it moving. And then when you say brain healthy diet, uh, I know that that's, one of our key points here for the help guide, um, to, you know, obviously a better mental health. Uh, we're talking about the foods that we consume because, like you said, our body is a machine. Uh, as one of our holistic specialists would say, she would say our body is a temple as well. Um, do you, you know, obviously firmly believe like what we put in is what we kind of get out? Oh, yeah. So when it comes the reason we say more specifically brain healthy diet. Right. We're not just saying diet or healthy diet. Right. And I want to distinguish diet. A lot of people have this idea that diets work. And it's not to say that diets don't work. Diets work because oftentimes they're they're for short, quick results. The thing is, diets, again, are for short, quick term results. They are not lifelong. They were not lifestyle changes or commitments. Right. And it's important that we distinguish that difference because if we're looking for short-term versus really long-term results, there is a difference. Now, when it comes to more of that brain-healthy diet, we're trying to find foods and things that allow our brain to work at its greatest capacity and our body to work at its greatest capacity. Now, filling it with things like sugars and dairy Things that are going to bog it down is not always going to be helpful. So eating that cup of ice cream sometimes is not going to be helpful. It's not needed. <laughs> not needed. And this is where we try to focus on a lot of those healthy aspects. Fruits, nuts, vegetables. Natural sugars. Like mm-hmm. and, and We have to be careful because some people have an idea that just sticking to natural sugars means we're going to lose weight. Well, sugar is still sugar. Right. If we switch only eating fruit, we're still consuming a higher amount of sugar. And I, and I mean, I can tell you that from my own, just even somebody that has dietary issues. I mean, just trust me, I've, I definitely comprehend exactly what you mean with the whole 
Because I, I was confused at first. Like, fruit has sugar because when you're young, you assume sugar to be candy, you know, sour, sweet, gummy, whatever it is. But there's sugars in almost everything. Again, it, it's that moderation. And I think the key word here would be moderation. I mean, um, also, when you said managing stress, I mean, obviously, that's a very general term. It's going to come back to those few things that we spoke about earlier. Um, now, another key point that we have here is the quality of sleep. Have you found, you know, is there any type of study that's done that says, you know, this X amount of time of sleep will guarantee this the following day? Or is it just kind of based, again, per person? Per person. They have done studies and there are a very small, 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 small group of individuals who can go a day sleeping only about, I believe it's four to five hours a day. The average person, though, needs seven to eight hours. General rule of thumb is if you cannot go for a 30-minute car ride without falling asleep, you're sleep-deprived. You need mm. more sleep. I never knew that. And this uh, last key point here, which is probably my favorite one, uh, meaning and purpose. Yes. So... And, and and again, and I mean, because this sounds like a this could be deep dive, but if we had to keep it short, is this meaning and, and purpose in like someone's life? Like essentially, what do we live for? What do we wake up for? Is that kind of the uh, realm that we're kind of talking about here? Very much so, because when life has meaning and purpose, it gives well meaning and purpose to everything we do, for lack of better words, right? So when we have an idea of why we're we're here, what we feel like our life's design or purpose was, the more it gives us clarity. We know exactly what we need to do. We know exactly what we need to focus on. We know how to become the expert then in our field. It gives us fulfillment at the end of the day. So it's a... It's a whole kind of broader stuff. So, I mean, we've spoken about so much, Alex. And I mean, again, I just want to personally thank you for kind of coming on and setting on, you know, some light for a more, uh, for a more kind of, you know, from the therapist, obviously side of things. Um, but from kind of talking to you and, you know, we've touched on so many great points. It sounds like not one thing will adjust for everything. There's a lot of moving parts and variables that kind of have to be, you know, moving in the right direction for you to kind of have an overall control and just a, you know, solid base or foundation for your mental health. It, am I correct in kind of saying that? Right. Yes. And so maybe to, to solidify or to give a little more clarity, like the Apollo rocket, right, on its way to the moon. On the way there, they were able to track it the entire time. I believe it was off track about 90% of the time, right? And I say this because that's kind of how life is. A lot of times it feels like we are constantly off track. It feels like we're off track about that 90% of the time. But the thing is, is once we get off track, we start moving and adjusting and we adjust and we adjust and we adjust. And at the end of the day, even though the Apollo rocket was off, course, 90% of the time, it still was capable of making and reaching its destination. We need to remember our health is that same way. It's going to get a little off course. We, we adjust and we adjust and we constantly adjust in order for us to ultimately get to where we really want to be. But it's okay that we're off track. 
We just sometimes need a little more guidance to get back on track. Wow. All right. That was amazing there. Alex, thank you so much there for uh, kind of calling in. I, I do have some some questions that we do have from uh, some, some forward thinkers here in the email. If you wouldn't mind, uh, maybe stick around and answer one or two of them. Of course. Awesome. Let me go ahead and get these uh, pulled up here. And again, guys, this is Alex Sanchez. She is our clinical director here at Project Think Forward. Um, you know, she does oversee our whole clinical side, and she is also one of our therapists and our wonderful network that we are growing so wonderfully here. So thank you again, Alex. Let me go ahead and get these uh, pulled up here for you real quick. All right. We have our first question here from a user that wanted to remain anonymous. She writes, my husband and I have been having issues for the past year. We have been married for 10 plus years. We have three kids who are all adults. And he suggested to reconcile for us to have an open relationship to see if that would fix things. Should I allow him to do it or should we not? Alex, I will pan to you. Now, that's a very complex question. Yeah, it's loaded. It's a it's a rather loaded. You one. know that, right? Right. No, yeah. I mean, and and she kind of states here at the uh, bottom, you know, answer to the best of your ability. But I mean, I and I'm gonna give the the male point of view, and I mean, just kind of like the person point of view. Do you feel comfortable in your guys's relationship to where? you know, you feel he'll go out there for the right reasons, you know, and just kind of get some answers. And again, it, it, I feel like people think open relationship to be like something physical when it's not always, it could just be a different conversation with somebody else or somebody new. So I think I would more so start with, do you feel kind of comfortable in your guys's relationship to even allow him to go out and speak to other women, you know, and I do see here that you guys were together for, or have been together for 10 plus years. It looks like you guys built a beautiful family together, you know, a beautiful home. Um, Do you feel comfortable in that kind of aspect of even allowing him? I think that that would be the first question I would ask her if that's correct, Alex. What do you think? First question is how do you feel about open relationships? Because everybody's opinion is going to be different if he's okay with it and she's not for it, that could very much cause conflict and tension. Um, generally, when it comes to open relationships, though, generally, majority of the ones I've had communication and experience with in counseling, more majority of them have like that dominant relationship. Here's the, the primary relationship. Kind of, this is the you and I, we're going to be sticking together. Everything else is considered secondary, right? But this is where every open relationship is going to be quite different. And it's important that they figure out and discuss what their open relationship would look like for them. And if that's what's best for them in this moment. My concern would be is jumping into an open relationship just to appease somebody else, right? For us to appease that partner and for us then to go into an open relationship, not feeling still secure in our primary relationship and then thus causing more havoc in the relationships all together as a whole. Right. Does that make sense? No, yeah, definitely. And I mean, that's that's kind of 
Yeah, I feel like in just with the word open, I feel like there's just so many kind of assessment questions that you kind of have to ask first. And I mean, you kind of hit them there on the coffin. So or hit the nail on the coffin there and where it's yes, um, anonymous, you know, there's a few self things that you have to kind of ask and kind of assess first. And again, you know, make sure that you're doing it for you both. If you're not interested in that, I would say no, you know, I would say, let it go. Don't do not do that. Let's work it out. And, and I mean, again, open again, doesn't always mean something physical. It could just be, I'm just out speaking or just intervening or just whatever it might be. You guys have to set those boundaries. So, uh, after that, they've got to find what works for them. Because like you said, some people, it's just communicating for other individuals. That means having full blown relationships. Yeah. They've got to find what works for them because not every relationship is going to work like that. And it's also important to recognize too, like, is this something we're doing together? Like, are we working in a swingers mentality, mm-hmm. you know, or is it this an individual thing that we just happen to say then that we are each other's primary relationship going forward. Everybody else is kind of secondary. Right. Right. So it would really be a matter of hashing out what that really looks like for each individual and how they feel individually. If there's a seed of doubt, it's important so that you share that because that seed of doubt, say you jump into it, you have this seed of doubt, but you've already jumped into it. That's just going to amplify that that seed and cause even more issues. And I think this is where personal religious beliefs also are going to come into play. You know, so each partner is going to have different feelings when it comes to their personal beliefs, too. So I think there's a lot of different factors that really play into this, but it really comes down to what works for the that partnership as a whole. For some people, that might be the right route. For other individuals, that wouldn't. What I'd really want to know is, what does this look like for them? And does that work for the both of them? Yeah. Anonymous, let us know. Please email us uh, with your... With your... Uh, final decision because you know we're now invested i mean uh definitely i would say answer those first and again kind of probe and you know we can kind of go from there i have a next one here that is um a little bit more specific it says my mother and i have had an issue ever since i was young she sent me away as a child and i've always resented her for it i am now older have my own husband and my own family and i would like to have a relationship with her now Uh, But for some reason, I cannot get past my childhood trauma. And I want to know how, if there's any way for me to mature so I can kind of grow with her in her last years. So that one, um, we're we're talking about a trauma now. Right. So because we're talking about a trauma that might be something that needs a little bit more digging than something I could just give an answer for at this very moment. Now, when it comes to this trauma more specifically... Um, what I would start probing or where I would really start probing a little bit more to get a little more background information is how is your relationship currently? Do you still feel hurt by that action? What is that hurt? Now, by that, I don't mean just my, my parent left, right? Because I could say from my personal experience, my biological father left. Yes, I understand. For some individuals, that's not a problem. I've had many individuals in counseling that said, I'd rather my parents have gone completely separate ways than ever be co-parents, right? 
for me, I'm like, I wish my parents were co-parents, right? So everybody's experience is going to be a little bit different. But when it comes to the hurt, what is really that deep-seated hurt there then? So to give an example from like my personal life, with my biological father leaving, it's why was I not good enough? Why was I not worthy to be your daughter? What was so fundamentally wrong with me as a person that you decided you wanted a whole new family, right? So for that trauma with mother leaving and and mother abandoning her at a younger age, it's where is really that hurt? What is that core hurt that's there? And how then do we work through that? For me, that, that sense of not being good enough, Yes, a lot of it had to do with processing my trauma with my father, but a lot of it also had to do with me and my personal sense of growth and learning to allow myself to feel worthy and feel lovable, right? So for somebody in this situation, we'd we'd really want to come down to where is that hurt really coming from? And does she really want to grow that relationship with mom? enough that she's willing to let go of some of the hurt from the past. Because sometimes we try to rush the process of forgiveness, right? Because we we want to forgive, we want the the tension to be over. But the problem is, is if we rush to forgive and we're not ready yet, we're ultimately doing more damage to ourselves because we are simply not there emotionally. Yeah. I agree, honestly. So... I mean, yeah, you, you said a lot there. I, I would, again, it, this one sounds kind of like a, having to kind of self-reflect and see, do we really want to or are we just saying it because, you know, maybe she's older now and, you know, you feel like you don't have that many years left? Because I also do feel like a lot of people, uh, I mean, aside from stocks, they have, a, you know, they have a, a fear of missing out. Whereas, like, I don't have this relationship. My mother or father, you know, for this person, they you know, treating me poorly and now I'm, I'm older and now they're older. Damn. I would feel right. really bad if they passed away and I didn't maybe say my piece or, you know, I, I didn't maybe do X, Y or, or Z. Cause I mean, that, that, that definitely is something that is, you know, a, a factor. Um, right. But, but I mean, again, I, I would just try to actually see what it is exactly that you want. And again, don't blame yourself from personal experience. Don't, don't ever blame yourself as to what hey, they might have did. Right. You know what I mean? There was nothing that you could have done that would have made a mistake or not. Now that you're mature and you're an adult and you have, you know, like your own family, you can see to do obviously not the same thing. Um, but I mean, yeah. So I hope that that kind of helps and uh, answers your question. I have one more here for you, Alex. Uh, hey, but before you oh, yeah. uh, touch on that next one, I think you, you hit a very good point mm-hmm. about expectation versus reality. Yes. I'll say that's something that generally has to shift the expectation of what you wanted that relationship to look like versus the reality of where it's really at and where it could potentially head. So say again, like even with the example with my biological father, there did get to a point where we started communicating and we started trying to heal that relationship. But the expectation that each of us had of what that relationship would look like just didn't work. I was never going to be the daughter who just said, it was okay, you left us, you abandoned us, and it's all right. Right. Right? But he also wasn't willing to let go and apologize for any of his part in it. It was kind of, it was all your guys' fault. It was all your mother's fault. Yeah. 
it just, the expectation of what I really wanted wasn't there, nor was the reality of what the relationship could really look like. Would it ever be there either? It was not at a point of healing or where I was at at life. So I was capable of healing and forgiving and letting that part of it go, but also moving on from that desire of wanting the relationship, right? Now, everybody's different. There's a lot of people who do want to fix that relationship and, and mend it. And it sounds like there's a possibility in this relationship that that could be happening, you know? So it's more something to consider that expectation versus reality aspect as well. Yeah. And I mean, sometimes, you know, it, it uh, starts as um, the parent is the adult, you're the child. Um, but even when you get older and you become the adult, the parent becomes a child. You know what I mean? Because you might see things differently. And, and again, Alex, kind of how you said, you've kind of accepted and kind of, you know, forgiven in your own way. But it sounds like you're your father didn't want to maybe take ownership for certain things. And that might've been all that you were looking for was just, Hey, just say, you know what? I was wrong, you know? And uh, that might've been able to move the relationship in a different aspect. So, uh, right. And you're absolutely correct. For me, it was very much that taking your side of the story and stop trying to deflect on everybody else. But this goes again, back with that sense of healing. Um, my family has very much healed and moved on from a lot of that where he has not had the opportunity or I guess maybe even want to necessarily heal from that. So it's just everybody in their different places and different point in life. You know, that's his walk and I'm on my walk. Yeah. Respect. I do respect that. I hope that that answers your question. Anonymous, uh, please email us back. Let us know moving forward. Now our last one here. This one touched my heart the most. I'll read it to you. <clears throat> it says, hello, Project Thing Forward. Since the pandemic, I picked up a habit of stress eating since my boyfriend of four years broke up with me and left me for my cousin. Now, anytime I have any sort of discomfort, I turn to food. At this mm. point, I think it is getting very unhealthy. Can you please shed some light on some ways I can kind of combat this by myself versus a medical route? Signed, Anonymous. Oh, and this is where it's so hard. Do I respond with my counselor sense or my innate woman? Well, <laughs> and, and I mean, I would love to hear both sides, honestly. You know, we let's start with the scientific, you know, therapy, you know, therapist hat. Um. Maybe we should start backwards. Maybe okay. you should start us off on this one, Abel. No, okay, so okay, so I mean, I mean, I, I'll shed as much as I possibly can. Um, I feel like I'm a little bit inequipped. So I mean, I know personally, just stress eating is definitely a thing. You know that it's you know some people bite their nails, some people pace back and forth, some people hyperventilate, cry, scream for for stress. I know mm -hmm. that personally stress eating, I mean, it's, it's never, there's never anything positive with it. Right. You know, some people, they work out when they're stressed, but that's a, that's a good habit to kind of have. You're saying that you've been doing this, uh, since the pandemic. So, I mean, I, I would assume about a year, maybe that, that this kind of happened. Um, was, I would kind of want to know, was food ever a factor in your life to where it was something negative? 
one and two, does it did it make it hurt anymore because he left you for your cousin? And I mean, again, how close are you and this cousin? So there's a few things there that I would kind of ask, but nonetheless, uh, you know, stress eating. I I can't imagine Alex is you know good in any kind of aspect. I mean, it's right. I mean, I mean, yeah. I don't even know how I would kind of even form my answer here. Right. So I'm going to start with the non counselor okay aspect. Girl, you didn't need him in your your life anyway. <laughs> Ridden. That's what I got to say about that yeah. because you clearly deserve somebody so much better who is out there who's going to love you for exactly who you are, flaws and all, right? This person just clearly didn't have the capacity to love you right. That simple, right? And so this is where, I mean, counselor and me also kind of coincide as one. So I would say that, I guess, still in the counselor aspect, too. Um, I can't imagine that it would be any easier, though, with it being a cousin, though. And I can't imagine how hard that would all hurt. Right. Right. When it comes to stress eating, stress eating often does have to do with the emotional aspect. And oftentimes, stress eating is often related to a sense of control. Right. So when it comes to everything you're talking about with cousin and with pandemic, it, it makes sense. There's a lot of things that seem to be out of control in life right now. But it's important to remember that you do have a sense of control. You are the author of your own story. Right, right. Right. And we can make that story whatever we like. Right now is just the, the challenging chapters. This is the chapter where the character goes through the battle, the hardship that allows them to become the hero in the end. And we all are going to go through our specific battles and that's okay. It's hard and it's uncomfortable. We have to remember where we're wanting to go at the end of all of this, right? When it comes with the eating, what I would really start asking is, what is it about the food? What is the food really feeling? What gap is this feeling? Right? And is this gap that you're feeling it with really working? Oftentimes when it comes with that emotional eating, right? It, it's something that's there. It's accessible. It, it makes us feel good. Right? But when we start really looking at it, Clearly, the stress eating isn't making us feel that good if we're asking a question, right? If we're talking about possibly getting help, there's something there that's clearly showing you this is not working and it's time to change that behavior. So start, start dreaming really what is it you want your life to look like and how do we get there, right? Is it stress eating in in five to 10 years from now? Think of how much your world has changed in one year with a pandemic. Just one. Imagine five to 10 years. If you could take complete ownership of that, what that would look like. Right? This is where, look at it. What, What holds is that stress eating trying to feel? Is it really filling those gaps? And what is it that's making you not feel worthy? And that's a hard one. Not so worthy is a really sucky, sucky feeling. It leads to all kinds of negative thoughts. Yeah. 
And I, I can say from my own personal experience, getting stuck with that sense of worthlessness, it, it can consume your brain. Right. And when that negativity starts taking control of your brain, it does not lead to good places. We have to start thinking, why are you worthy? What makes you so worthy? What makes you uniquely and wonderfully you? Right. Nobody else was meant to be you but you. Right. And how is this going to change your life moving forward? If you could wave a magic wand and change everything, and in 10 years, your ideal life could be happening, what would that look like? Sometimes I think we as adults forget that aspect of dreaming. We were taught so young, and we were constantly asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? Yet as we got older, we, we stopped getting asked that question, and we actually finally stopped dreaming. We have all these ideas of what we want to accomplish. Yet how many times do we just settle for a New Year's resolution that we don't even accomplish? Right? So it's how do we then make it? How do we dream it so it's so vivid that that's exactly what we, we work to run after? Does that make sense? Oh, it makes perfect sense. I mean, that was, that was an amazing answer. I think that that was amazing. Run of applause for that. That was amazing. Anonymous, please email us this week coming up. We are going to follow up with you. Also, guys, send your questions to questions at projectthinkforward.com. That is questions, Q-U-E-S-T-I-O-N-S, at projectthinkforward.com with one T. We do have the uh, links below if you're looking at the podcast on Spotify, also on Anchor. And also send us a voicemail. I would love to play it live on air. Uh, other than that, guys, I think that we're going to go ahead and stop it right here. Alex, thank you so much for joining us today. You were amazing. Thank you so much for shedding your lights on uh, from that aspect there of, you know, the whole therapeutic side. Is there anything else that you'd like to add before we head out? Uh, if you need help, go get it. There right. So there's been such a stigma surrounding, surrounding mental health. But the fact of the matter is if you had a broken arm, you'd go see a doctor. If you had eye issues, you'd go see the optometrist, right? Mm. When it comes to your mental health and your well-being, go see the right person. Remember, mental health includes that emotional, psychological, and social well-being. If you're struggling in any of those areas, it might be time to see a therapist. And with the right therapist, they're going to help you, not hinder you, right? So get the help while you can. And the right person's not going to make it even feel that bad. That's right. Alex Sanchez, ladies and gentlemen. Again, we are Projecting Forward. Find us at projectingforward.org, and we will see you next week. Thank you so much. Have a good night.